We are going to get started. I'm going to get into God's Word this morning. And, and so it's an, it is an exciting time. All those announcements, you know, when we move into our fall schedule, um, that is always an exciting time. Life group starting and everything. And, and be sure and come back out tonight. Like Todd said, we have our, our final worship and fellowship. And, and that will be in the Next Gen Center. The worship will occur in the Next Gen Center. And if we have to come over, hopefully we can eat. Hopefully the rain will hold off and we'll be able to eat under the pavilion. But if not, worst case scenario, we'll move everything over here then and eat in the gym after, after we praise the Lord. So come back out. That is, that's the last of, the, of our Sunday nights that we do in the summer um, that's focused on worship and fellowship and, and food and that sort of thing. And then we'll be transitioning back. Uh, to a, a prayer first focus on Sunday evenings, but we'll tell you uh, more about that uh, as we get a little, little bit closer. But happy um, Labor Day weekend. So I hope you enjoy your Labor Day tomorrow not working. Um, th- that, is, that is the point of it. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you, can, you can do that. That's my plan. We'll see if it um, actually works out that way. But, but before we get to our day off, I want to talk to you today about all the work that we have to do here. Because today I'm, I'm starting a three-week series on the mission, vision, and strategy of our church. So over these next three Sundays, we're going to explore the why, the what, and the how of this family of believers that we call First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. And so particularly today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay some groundwork today. When we move in, each week we're kind of going to be in a funnel. And I'm going to do an overview of the, the mission, of the, the general why, and then we're going to funnel down into more specifics um, that God has called us to, and then even more specifics to how we do that here, the strategy um, that we employ to fulfill the mission and the vision that God's given us. So when, so, so some of these sermons, today is just going to be, a, you know, traditional preaching. We're going to do, over these next couple Sundays, we're going to do some different things. You're going to hear from our life group leaders, um, even. We're going to talk some very specifics, some, you know, less preaching for sure, less teaching, a lot of reminding you of who we are. Um, and, and, and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, like, you know, it was kind of like when we took, uh, took, partook in the Lord's Supper last week. I said, there's some things I don't need to teach you. There's some things we just need to be reminded of. And we're going to cover those things that we need to be reminded of um, over these next few weeks. But these are things that we need to be reminded of regularly. There are reasons that we do what we do and why we do them. And we need to keep those things in the forefront of our minds. Otherwise, we run the risk of just playing church. And we run the risk of just holding services and just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. And we can't fall into that trap. We need to be about what God is about. And he, and he, he lays out very clearly for us what we are to be about. That was what Jesus was about. That was what Jesus was about his entire life, even as a child in Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was 12 years old, his family had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he had slipped away to the temple as, as his family was making their way back to Nazareth. And they come back to look for him, and, and they find him in the temple. And look at Mary's reaction in Luke 2:48. It says, When they had saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We've been looking all over for you. Why have you done this to us? But look at how focused Jesus was in his response in verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And even as a 12-year-old, he was focused on the mission that God had for him. And he wasn't about to be distracted. And that stayed true throughout his whole life, even to the point that his life was on the line in Luke 22, the night before his crucifixion, he prayed to his father saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was about his father's business and he was about his father's will his entire life. 
Can the same be said of us? Because brothers and sisters, we too need to be about our Father's business, especially in these last days. We need to desire our Father's will. And we are to do that through this church with each other. So there are some questions we need to answer over these next few weeks. And the question we are going to answer today is why? Why are we here? And it's, you know, this just gets to the age-old question of life. You know, do, do you know the meaning of life? Do you have a mission? That's the that's the title of today's sermon, The Mission of the Church. Why? So today, again, is going to set the stage for the specifics that we'll, that we'll continue to drill down into over these next two weeks. But there, of course, is a why. There's absolutely a reason why the church exists. In fact, there's a very specific reason why we are here, even why we are here together. At this time in history, I don't want you to think for a second that that's a coincidence. I don't want you to think that that's happenstance, that you happen to be alive in, this, in, in, in 2022, that you happen to be here living in this area at this time in history. I don't, I don't want you to think that's coincidence or happenstance. That's a, that's a naturalistic, that's an evolutionary outlook on life. Don't allow that. I want you to leave here today knowing full well that you are here with us at this time in history for a very specific purpose. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. And we have a purpose together. So listen to me now. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then your life has boundless meaning. Are you living out that meaning? Are you living out your, the calling that you have of Christ? Or are you just living out life day to day with no real eternal purpose, only focused on your own business instead of your father's business? Living out your will and not your Father's will. First Baptist Church, we need to understand the mission that God's given us. And we need to join in together. And thankfully, God, if you, if you don't even understand or you don't even know what that is, thankfully God makes it pretty easy. At least respect, with respect to the general aspects of the mission that he has for us, he makes it quite clear it doesn't even make us guess. And we find his mission for us throughout the New Testament, but probably the, the best known passage and maybe the clearest description is found in Matthew 28 in what is known as the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles with you and you're not already there, I invite you to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be studying verses 16 through 20. You know, when we talk about the Great Commission, most people will start in verse 18, but I, I want to back up a couple verses to, to get some important context um, that, in those verses that are normally skipped. So let's read this passage together, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him uh, to direct our time together in his word. So are you ready? Uh, that, was, that, was, that was disappointing. Um, are you ready? Yeah, all right, all right. Matthew chapter 28. When it started in verse 16, the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now, and we come to you now needing to hear from you. We need to hear from you this morning. We need to hear from your word this morning. Lord, I know that in and of me, I have nothing to say to these people, but Lord, I know that you do. 
And I know that you have a message that you want to deliver. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit does that. I pray that you work on our hearts individually and, and just uh, convict and convince us of our need to be involved in the mission that you've laid out for each and every one of your children. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church, we will rally behind it and we'll come together uh, as we enter this sort of new season, this fall season of life groups and, and, and new ministry and MTT and just everything we have before us, Lord, that we would enter it um, with, with your mission in the forefront of our minds, understanding why we're here and, 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 and how we go about living it out. And so, Lord, I pray that you teach us today. Just, just that. And Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. And, and I pray that you're honored and glorified through it in, in our time together as a church body, as a family, as a fellowship of, of sons and daughters of, your, of you. Lord, I, we love you. Thank you so much for the time we have together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people that are here. And Lord, I pray you speak to them today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage of scripture, if you've been around church very long, especially this church, is, is one you've heard many times. Again, there's some things that I'm just going to remind you of more than teach you new stuff. But in this popular passage, we get from Jesus what is known as the Great Commission. Now, you see glimpses of it in a couple of other Gospels. I, I do want you to know they're, they're not the same. Um, you know, some books you might read will say, you know, this is, these are the same things happening. There are actually even many of these different accounts of the different Gospels are happening at different times. But there are similar statements made by Jesus in some other Gospels. So first we have Mark 6.15. We see Jesus speaking. He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Right? So, so a little different, but similar language in there. In Luke 24, verses 44 through 48, we see this. And he, Jesus, said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. All of the stuff that, that was written about in the Old Testament, it was pointing to me. It was written about me. Then opened the, the, he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Again, different, but there's some similarities. Jesus also repeats this desire. This is a different time, but, but this is directly before his ascension. In, in another very popular verse, Acts 1.8, this says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Many of us are familiar with with that verse. And so we get glimpses of, of this great commission type of language in multiple places in Scripture. But again, Matthew 28 is the one and only real complete picture. And in my view, we, we find four key aspects of the mission here that I want to share with you this morning. And it's a complete picture because it even involves the foundation, not just the details of the mission. You see, before we even get into those details or lay out the specifics of the mission, we have to lay a little bit of groundwork. And the groundwork starts with this. Our, our first point is the purpose of the mission. Because clearly God gives us a job to do. And he tells us what it is. He told his disciples there in Matthew chapter 28 what it was that he wanted them to do. But we also get to understand the why. And that really is what we're talking about today. The ultimate, the ultimate why of, of, of why he's given us this mission. And that gets to the very reason of our being. Our primary purpose for existing. And this is actually our eternal purpose. Not only our purpose on however many years we may have on this earth. And our eternal purpose is to worship God. That is our eternal purpose for eternity. And we get that here in Matthew 28 by understanding the context in which Jesus is giving the Great Commission. Look back at verse 16 and 17. 
And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. But some doubted. Now we're going to get to the doubting in a second. But the context, the environment in which Jesus gave his disciples the great commission is one in which they were worshiping him. And he was about to leave the earth. He wasn't going to be with them physically anymore. So he was giving them instruction on how to worship him once they were gone. And that's the great commission. That's how we worship him today. Now, we're, we're going to get to the details later, but you, we, you, we can never forget that our life is about God's glory. And he gets glory as we worship him. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, listen to what this says. Paul speaking unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And, you know, if you're, if you're really listening to that, it kind of sounds like the Great Commission. Preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. And why did God set things up this way? What was it according to? Verse 11 tells us, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his eternal purpose that we would worship him in this way. And he further defines that eternal purpose down in verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Listen, our life is about giving God glory. And we give God glory as we worship him. And we worship him today as we live out the Great Commission. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, it says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Revelation eleven four 4 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created for him and his pleasure. But are you living for you and your pleasure? That's not why you were created. That's outside of his business and his will. And listen, Proverbs 16:4 says, The Lord, listen to these words, the Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And this verse does truly get to some deep doctrine, including that even those in hell will be worshiping God. It is our eternal purpose that will go on eternally in everyone, regardless of your eternal location. Philippians 2.10 says, every knee shall bow. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, listen to this, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, there will not be one person in hell, still denying Jesus. They will not be partying with their friends, despite what popular culture might tell you. Okay, so one of my favorite singers is Billy Joel. 
It's a confession I need to make to you. Uh, Jennifer and I, with the Steeds, bad influence on the Steeds, we went and saw him in concert just a couple weeks ago in Pittsburgh. Actually, I was the bad influence. I, I was the one who desperately wanted to go. None of the three of them really cared. Um, but I drugged them along with me. And I love his music. And he has a song titled, Only the Good Die Young. You've probably heard it. You, you weren't always holy, I know. <laughs> and listen, I, I like this song. But it has a verse in there that says this. It says, they say there's a heaven. He, Billy Joel says, they say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Darling, only the good die young. But let me tell you something. Billy won't be singing that in hell. He's singing it now. He won't be singing it in hell. I mean, I hope he's saved, but I really doubt that he is. And if he's not, what he is going to be doing in hell is acknowledging and worshiping Jesus in eternal torment because that is our purpose. And that is exactly what God is seeking, and it's exactly what God is going to get eventually. So why don't you give it to him now? So that when you're doing it in heaven eternally, it will be so much better. But you give it to him now, it's what he's seeking. John 4.23 says, For the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him, he's seeking those true worshipers. And we're all to do it even if and when we're doubting. That's what we see in Matthew 28, 17. Look there again. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And what I want to say about this is doubting does not preclude worship. Now, it's not ideal. It's better not to doubt. Jesus says that to Thomas. We'll talk about that in a second. But there are certain realities and limitations that come from simply living in this flesh. We all deal with it at some level or another. The key is to not give up, to not run away when you're doubting. Because if you stick around long enough and you just worship long enough in sincerity, even if you're doubting, God will prove himself to you. You just have to give him a try. So like Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like an apple. An apple might look good. But until you taste it, you don't really know. God is saying, try me out. If you don't believe me, why don't you go ahead and take a taste? Because what you're going to see and what you're going to find and what you're going to learn is that I am good. And, and, and I know that this is true and that God will prove himself because when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you find out that at least one of the doubters was Thomas. You see this in John chapter 20. And even though Thomas doubted, he was still there. He still showed up. And, and God told him, you listen, you know, you, you touched me because he lets him touch him. He lets him see him. He's like, you, you know, you, are, you believe now because you touched and saw me. Blessed are those that do it without that. So it's better not to doubt, but, but listen, Thomas kept showing up even in his doubt, and Jesus did prove himself to him to the point in John 20, 28, that Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, my God. So what we all need to do is decide this morning that we're going to be a worshiper. In spite of your circumstances, in spite of your feelings, because it is the purpose of your life. But we can't do it in the flesh. We can't worship God through the flesh. That's not glorifying to him. We have to worship him in and through the spirit. We already read John 4.23, but that's what the next verse tells us. John 4.24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God gives us a prescription. We don't get to define how how we worship him. It's done this way, but keep showing up, and and even in your doubting, keep showing up, keep giving him a try in in spirit and in truth, and and you're going to see that he is who he says he is. And that brings us to the second key aspect of his mission that we see in Matthew 28, and that is the power of the mission. 
Because the truth is, what God has given us to do, we can't do it in our own power. We must do it through his power. And Jesus has the power that he wants to give us. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. You see, the power to accomplish what he is going to lay out to them next is given to Jesus. And listen to those words. All power. Not some power. Not quite a bit of power. All power in heaven and in earth. Listen, this power, Jesus' power is absolute and unlimited. And it's available to you as you walk in him. Or as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, because they are one. Because as I'm sure most of you know, to live a life that is glorifying to the Lord, you, you can't do it in the flesh. In fact, you must reckon your flesh dead. Like the, and the, that's what the Bible says. So, so, you know, we talk a lot, my, myself included. We talk a lot about, man, we, gotta, we have to die to our flesh. We have to die to our flesh. Actually, that's not biblically true. We have to reckon ourselves dead. So if, if you look, there's, it, it, if you study that out, that, that's always in, in past tense. So our flesh, if we are in Christ, our flesh is dead. We were crucified with Christ. We have to believe it. We have to reckon it so. We have some math to do. So reckon is an account, means accounting. It's, a, it's an accounting word. And you've got to add it up in your life. You've got to look at your life and you've got to add some things up. And you, gotta, you should land on the fact that you're dead in him. And that you're alive now unto God. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 6. And we won't take the time to go through all of it, but just look at verses 4 through 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And, and again, that, what, what you saw there this morning is a picture, just a picture, of, of what's being talked about here in Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness in the likeness of his resurrection. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might not be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You know, Galatians 2.20, all these verses, I am crucified with Christ. We, we were, there, somehow, you know, in the cross, you know, we, as, as, when we place our faith in him, somehow Jesus puts a crack in there to let us in. And we were crucified with him. We have to live it out. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And this gets to what the Bible calls resurrection power. It's acknowledging that when you got saved, your life, your flesh was crucified with Christ and now you are living in Christ and you have access to his power. It was one of Paul's desires, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. And he describes it further in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So there is this thing called resurrection power that, that God used to resurrect Jesus from the dead. And when we are in Christ, that is now available to us when we choose to walk in Christ, when we choose to walk in the Spirit. It's that simple. It's also required to live out the commission. And when you decide to walk in the power of your flesh, you miss out on the resurrection power that is in you that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's all on you at this point. And listen, you can't worship God that way. Because God said we worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't live out the great commission in the flesh. 
Not in a way that's pleasing to God. Romans 8, 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He makes it clear. And if you're not pleasing God, then he's not getting glory. This goes back to the why. Why we are here. So we all have a decision to make. And I know what many believers think. They think, man, I don't, well, I don't know the Bible. I don't know how to witness. I don't know that I can actually live my life like, the, like he's laying out for us in the Great Commission. And that's just not true. Maybe you don't want to. That's its own issue. But if you want to, you can. You can do all things through Christ. But you have to understand the power that you have in Jesus. As you reckon your flesh dead and tap into that. And just consider the power for a second. The, the cross did kill him. He did die, right? And they did bury him in that tomb, right? And the women, they did bring those spices to embalm him and give him a proper burial, didn't they? But Jesus came back when everybody else thought it was over. And that's why a child of God should never say, I can't. Because you have that power in you. And that is the shame of Christianity today. Many Christians are living their lives laying down, even though Jesus Christ is desiring to stand up and stand strong inside of them for his own glory. And we won't let him have it. But once you figure out how to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, that, he's, that he has been that he's given to you and, and placed inside you, then you need to know what to do. And that brings us to the third key aspect of the mission. That's the particulars. The particulars of the mission. And this gets really to the practical answer of why we are here and how it is that we can worship God today in spirit and in truth, ultimately glorifying him. And as, as we've already said, it's as we live out this great commission that is defined for us in verses 19 and 20. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is what we are to do. Again, based on his power, the therefore of verse 19 connects to the power of verse 18. So since Jesus has all power and since we are in him, okay, well, go ye therefore. And this is what we are here for. This is what we are to do. So that together we go and we teach and we baptize and we teach. And so, so listen, to be true to the Bible, the, the correct, the hermeneutically correct doctrinal application of this passage is to the Jewish church of those that you see in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Right? That, this is the true doctrinal application of even this great commission. But there is no doubt that the spiritual application still applies to us today because you see it everywhere Paul goes, all throughout the Pauline epistles. And I'll, I'll show you one here later on. But here's how it applies to us. You get off the couch and you go tell people about Jesus. And you're willing to go across the street and you're willing to go across the world. And then you win them to the Lord and you bring them into the fellowship of this church so that we can baptize them and disciple them in the ways of Jesus and his word so they can go do the exact same thing. It's a multiplication ministry. In fact, that, that teach in verse 19, teach all nations, it means to make disciples. That is our mission. It's not only the mission of that first century Jewish church. It is our mission as well. So let me say it this way. This is an important sentence. It's a super simple. <laughs> it's important. Our mission is to worship Jesus by making disciples. That is our mission. We are worshiping Jesus. It is about him. And it's about our love for him. It's not about notches we can put on our belt. It's not about you know, numbers that we're trying to meet. No, it's about worshiping him. But how do we worship him? We worship him by making disciples. So everything we do that we're going to talk about specifically over these next couple of weeks has to be to that end. Now, there's a lot that goes into making disciples. And again, we'll dive into that. But, but let me give you an example. 
what we do here on Sunday mornings is part of making disciples. And a lot goes on here on a Sunday morning. And it involves a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Some of which on the surface may not look like making disciples. We have greeters and we have people making coffee. We have people doing a lot of things. But it all goes into a bigger work of making disciples. There's a purpose for what we're doing. We're going to talk about all of it over these next couple weeks. And it all works together to that end as we all work together to worship God in the way he prescribes and the way he desires. And God's prescription of worship involves activity. The, it, it, the first word sets the, the, the frame for all that we are to do. And the first word is go. It's an active word. I'm sorry, but nowhere in the Bible do you see a true worshiper of the Lord being passive in the work of the Lord. There's a story in Genesis 47. I've shared this with you before, but God brings me back to it. I, I love it. It's a time when Joseph was Pharaoh's right-hand man, and Joseph's brothers unknowingly you know, come to him for help. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh, and he's trying to set up his father and his brothers uh, with some work. He's trying to, to help them out. And Pharaoh's willing to help, but look at what he says in Genesis 47, verse 6. Pharaoh says, The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And I just love the phrasing in that verse because it tells us what God is looking for as we live out the Great Commission. Pharaoh was looking for men of activity to lead. He didn't ask for the smartest. He didn't even ask for those that were most knowledgeable about cattle. He wanted a man of activity, someone that was willing to do the work, someone that was willing to go and teach, which means being prepared to teach. We'll talk about that. Someone who was willing to get to work. So let me ask you, does that phrase describe you? When it comes to the God-given mission we have, would you consider yourself a man or a woman of activity? Are you active in the, in the work? Are you involved? When you hear all the announcements and the things coming up, do you get excited about what that means that you get to be a part of and what you get to do? Are you actively trying to live out the Great Commission and the power of the Lord by walking in the Spirit? I hope so, because that's what the Bible prescribes. And if you don't do it now, you're going to do it in eternity. And even if, let's say you are saved. Let's say there's a thousand-year millennial reign that's going to look different for you than those that are doing it now. There's a reason to do it now. And this is what the Bible prescribes. And it's not only found in the Great Commission that, after I told you, you could now try to argue back to me that doctrinally doesn't apply to us. Because it does. There's, there's something, this is something that Paul models for us as well. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Was it to you? God bestowed this grace to you. Was it in vain? Look at how Paul defines how it wasn't in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all. But how'd he do it? In his flesh? Oh, yet not I, but the, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, Christianity isn't a spectator sport. We're to all be involved. We're to all be involved together in the mission. It's a labor. It is a work. We need men and women of activity, willing to be involved, willing to go, willing to do. It's what the church is. It's a body working together according to God's word to give God glory. It's not just a group of religious people gathered to enjoy a worship service. This is not a consumer-based effort. It's not what you can get out of it. It's how we can give him glory. How can we worship him? And he tells us how to do it. So let's do it. Let's be about it. 
Man, the, the church, it's a, it's a group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same spirit, who are given gifts by that same spirit, who are intended to function together to change the world by the power of Christ. And I believe we can do it here from New Philadelphia, Ohio. We're already changing the world in Hungary. We're already changing the world in Columbus. We're already changing the world here. Where else? Let's keep changing the world. Let's keep going. Let's keep sending. Let's keep being active. Let's keep being about it. Let's change the world everywhere we go through the power of Christ. That's the work of the church. That is the work of this church. And that's what you signed up for when you placed your faith in Jesus and linked arms with us. And if, I'm sorry, if you came here to feel comfortable I do my best every single Sunday to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so if I, 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 mean, I love you, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If, if you just want to feel comfortable, this probably isn't the place for you. And I don't want you to leave. I really don't. I want you to keep coming. But I want you to be involved with us. Listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to keep challenging you. When I, when I preach on Sundays, I have a very distinct purpose that I have, that I do it with. It's not only to teach you the Bible. I hope you learn the Bible. I, I want to teach you the Bible. God teaches me the Bible, and I want to share that. But that's not the only reason. When I preach on Sunday morning, every time I'm trying to challenge you with something. I'm trying to get you to look within yourself. Because listen, I have to do it every week when I'm preparing. So if I have to do it, you need to too. It's hard enough. But uh, no, we need, to, we need to do it. We need to challenge ourselves and look within ourselves and ask the Lord wh where we're at and what we need to change, how we need to be more active, whatever it is. And and. And this place, we have the ability to change the world. And it's, it's Acts, you know, 17, 6. It's like they turned the world. Those, that group of disciples and that, you know, that first group that came out of Jerusalem. But it says that they, they turned the world upside down. Let's turn the world upside down. Let's be a part of it. And let, let's at least, this is, these are last days. These are crazy days. Let's at least go out swinging. And I believe we can do it from here. I, be, I believe that this is a special place. And, and I'm well aware that, that, that many think, hold up for a minute. Listen, I'm like, you're talking crazy. <laughs> like, I'm good with being saved. I just don't know about all this other stuff. Or I don't even know what I have to offer. I don't, I don't, you talk about spiritual gifts. I don't know if I have any spiritual gifts. I don't, certainly don't know what they are. We have classes to help you with that, by the way. We'll talk about that. Others think, you know, this is kind of a personal thing. I don't really want to get too involved with others. I just want my own relationship with God, and I want to do it the way that I want to do it. The only problem with that is you don't get to define it. God does. And according to Paul, that's not an option. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, I mean, of course not. If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where is the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. See, we're all in this together. So when you aren't active, when you aren't willing to go with us where we go, then we all suffer. You have something to offer that I don't. We need everyone to participate in the mission. That's why Paul emphasizes our oneness. Again, I, I keep telling you what the church is. Let me, tell, let me give you another paragraph. The church is an assembly of redeemed people who owe their distinct existence, their life together, to, fat, to the fact that they were by one spirit put into one body. 
and dwelt by that same spirit. And then we're put here together to live that life out. We're not separated believers, we're one. So not only is the church not a spectator sport, the church also isn't golf. And golf is a, an interesting sport, one that I love m- much. It, it, I'm terrible at it, but I still love it. But by the nature of the sport, golfers are independent. You know, a golf tournament is a struggle of individuals. And golfers rely on their own abilities to beat out the other, other man, other woman. That's not a church. We're a team sport. But I'm afraid that many congregations and, and many Christians are like golfers. Everybody doing their own thing, going about it their own way, paying no attention to what the team is doing and not valuing what others are doing. That can't be us. It's not how it's supposed to be. We're a body. We're to function as a body on a mission with a job to do, organized, structured, to go and to teach and to make disciples. And again, we're going to talk about what that looks like for us coming up these next couple weeks. And so there's a purpose to the mission. There's power for the mission. There are the particulars of the mission. And then last, we see the promise of the mission. And the promise is a good one. Look at the end of verse 20. He said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, we have a promise that God will go with us as we go. As we are active, as we get involved, God will be there as we participate. And, and that's especially comforting in these crazy days that we live in. So we know that Jesus was in our midst, is in our midst when we gather. Matthew 18, 20 tells us that. But he's not only in our midst, he goes with us as we go. And if Jesus had remained on this earth, he couldn't have fulfilled that promise. But through the Spirit, he can. And he does. And it's a great promise we have from the Lord. And you see this play out throughout the New Testament. Again, this is something, this great commission, living the life in God's power, making disciples, this is what we see throughout Paul's ministry. That's why I know that it applies to us as well. We're not going to be hyper-dispensationalist and cut the great commission off from us. It applies to us. So let me give you an example of that. In Acts 18... We see Paul establishing the church in Corinth. And I want, to, I want you to see the progression. Because in verse 1, he obeyed the command to go. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, Athens and came to Corinth. He went. He, he, was, he obeyed to go. He was active. He wasn't inactive. And what did he do when he got there? He taught and won people to the Lord and then baptized them. You can see it in verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And then he took the time to disciple them. Look at verse 11. He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He was living out and fulfilling the Great Commission, but he didn't have to do it alone. He had a promise from the Lord. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace, for I am what? For I'm with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Which the last part of verse 10 is pretty awesome in and of itself. He said, for I have much people in this city. You never know who's watching, I'm just saying. But this is a pattern throughout the New Testament, throughout Paul's ministry, and it's part of the mission. And again, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I believe that the work has put before us is special and that we can see something very special happen in our midst if we give ourselves to it. And I say it because this church is special. And I mean it. And I think we have a unique opportunity before us. And we, we place God's word where, it, where it, it deserves to be placed. And I believe that these are, this unique opportunity comes in very unique days. But listen, I know also that, that not everyone in this room feels the same way I do. And, and for many people, many of you even here this morning, it's just something you do. It's not special. And you don't have a special connection with people. This is just a place you attend because church is something you're supposed to do. And you're not excited about life group starting this Wednesday. I mean, the, that kind of just passed over you, that announcement. You don't plan on coming back tonight. 
to worship and fellowship with us together? You're not really excited to hear from the Lord through the preaching of his word on a given Sunday. You're not actively looking for opportunities to share the love of Christ through discipleship, through blueprint, through what other ministry opportunities we have available. And, and I hate that for you because I know there's more. I know there's more. I, I want you to feel what I feel. I can't wait for tonight, man. I can't wait to come back and, and praise the Lord together with you guys. I can't wait. I can't wait for Wednesday night to start. I love it. And you say, well, yeah, well, you're the pastor. Yeah, I, I am. But that, that, doesn't, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> There's a lot of pastors that don't love what they do. And I'm not saying that, uh, that I'm special because that, listen, that's the last thing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not special at all. But I do believe this church is special, and I believe you're special. And, and, I, and I want you to feel it. I want you to feel what I feel. I wish you would. I wish you'd give it a try. And maybe for some of you, it's because you're not saved. There's never been a time where you personally trusted Christ for your eternal life. But I know that most of you are. For whatever reason, that spark of the Holy Spirit, maybe that was even, you know, once fire and strong, has been dulled. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5.19 puts it, it's been quenched. And I don't, I don't want that for you. Neither does God. That, that verse says, quench not the Spirit. I want you and your life to be about this mission with us. I want you participating with us. I want you to feel a part of what we have here. I want you to be excited about it. I want you to feel what I feel and what so many others feel when we gather. And for those of you who are already there with me, man, let's pull people in. Let's be about it. Let's be about the mission. Let's double down on worshiping God by making disciples. Let's not let up. Let's not lose sight of the mission. Let's never get to the point where we're just holding church services. At First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, we have accepted the mission outlined in Matthew 28. The Great Commission is our mission. And it's a co-mission because we get to do it together and we get to do it with him. So everything that FBC is a part of will be in some way intertwined with this single and important mission of making disciples. Not just here, but all over the world. Because as we continue to make disciples, my hope is to be a ministry that continues to plant other churches and other works throughout the world, all for God's glory. Just like we have in Hungary, just like we have in Columbus. So where's next? Who's next? Who's the next Kale Horvath? Who's the next Matt Brocker? Who's the next person willing to go and make disciples somewhere else? Because when they go, that just means we need somebody else here. Who's the next person willing to step up here? Who's the next person willing to teach that fourth grade class or whatever it is that we need here that then teaches junior high, that then moves up, and then next thing you know, they're in Hungary? Who's the next person? Let's keep building towards that. While we keep building here, there is a spot for everyone. But if you haven't joined the mission, what are you waiting for? If not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, I just want you to use this time just to ask yourself if, if you're active, if you're actively involved, if you're a, a part of the mission that God has for this church and the opportunity that God's put before us, it is a great one and it is a unique time in history. Now more than ever do we need people willing to be involved, willing to join the mission, link arms with us and be willing to go and to be active and to participate, to get discipled, to join MTT. We're going to talk about all of that in the next couple of weeks. But I just want you to ask yourself now, where is your part? Are you a part? And if not, will you be a part with us and what we're doing here?